0: What's up, podcast listeners? Back at it again with a phenomenal episode with a phenomenal person. Chloe Malski is the founder, CEO, president, chairman, chairwoman of Grow with Chloe. She is a personal fitness, wellness, sports coach. She was a college athlete herself. She is just absolutely phenomenal. She brings a lot of energy. She brings a lot of excitement. She brings a lot of discipline, and she is just a fantastic person who's changing lives of other you know, youth sports kids all the way up to college sports uh, athletes, all the way up to pro athletes as well, helping come alongside, not just them as an athlete, but them as a person. And she's just changing lives. So Chloe, thank you for all that you do, the impact that you're having, and just loved having you as a guest on this episode. Well, Chloe, thank you for being a guest on this podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited.
0: I'm a little surprised that you're, uh, you're wasting your time during this beautiful day of your birthday on this podcast. So happy birthday.
1: Thank you.
0: So you were explaining to me some arbitrary game that you're going to play. What is this game that you, you're going to play, uh, you're, you're going to spend your birthday doing?
1: It's called Mexican Train.
0: Okay.
1: It, it's basically uh, Domino's. Okay. But I never played domino, so I didn't know that. But it's Mexico's version of Domino's after I did a little research so <laughs> it's a lot of fun and great family game but it takes like four hours to play a full game
0: oh it's like a commitment like you have to like this is this is the night we're playing this game rally the troops around it i get that yeah, I we uh I, I did a mission trip in brazil and obviously most people in the world know the game uno but <laughs> while we were sitting on this riverboat in the middle of the amazon river some of the guys we were hanging out with who like worked on the ship with us taught us Brazilian Uno. So it's a whole new twist and twist of rules. So we got to the point where we had like 25 people playing this one game of Uno, but with Brazilian twisted rules. So whenever you're ready for those, after your four-hour session, I'm happy to send those over.
1: <laughs> Seriously, I'm like, real, I'm, now that I'm in the cold Northeast, I feel like board games has kind of consumed my life. <laughs> because I, I, especially when we're looking at screens all day, Yep. I, I don't want to commit to a show. I'm tired of looking at screens. I'm tired of FaceTiming people. <laughs> this all the time so it's great board games are the best
0: I completely agree and when you're kind of stuck inside you know other than you know probably having a few extra drinks and watching movies you know mixing in a board game every once in a while is not a bad way to go (laughs) so so give me the rundown I know I know obviously Lauren we got to give a shout out to Lauren for making the amazing connection but I know a little bit about your background so give me give me the life story give me the history I want to hear it
1: okay Uh, so I'm from a small town in New Hampshire called Keene. I grew up with three brothers, uh, a dad that's a psychologist, a mom that ran a drug and alcohol rehab and is a therapist. That's just, um, a background info that becomes relevant later. Uh, I played all the sports, but I found that running was the easiest route to get out of my small town. It it costs the least amount of money. It's the least political. If you run a time, then you get there. Like those times don't lie. And so I saw it as an avenue and I worked really, really hard. I got a scholarship to Duke University and then I got to Duke and I was not mentally prepared at all. And I just broke. I had three stress fractures and I just mentally was not in a good space. And I'm realizing that more and more now thinking back about my t- about my time there and I mean I mean I met the most amazing people I'm so connected with a lot of people from the university but my as my mental well-being was not in a good place and I wasn't prepared going from this big fish in a small pond to a minnow in an ocean and this identity of being an achiever and always being like well I'm this fast and I'm this smart and now I'm not the fastest not the smartest and it was like that loss of identity that almost every athlete goes through at the end of their career it just happened way earlier for me and i didn't realize that was happening um finished school and i just kept running i kept like starting to lift weights a little bit and figure that out uh and i found that strength training really transformed everything for me so intertwined in that whole story also there was a lot of body image stuff that was not good. I, like I had a, a seventh grade coach that told me I was his Clydesdale and the other two skinnier girls were his thoroughbreds. That right. was in seventh grade yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a twig. So like, it's, it's really interesting. And he, I don't think he meant it like Chloe, you're strong but I interpret it as a seventh grader, Chloe, you're big. Yeah. And so that was my identity. I'm like, I'm the big runner, I'm the big runner. And that would always go through my head. But when I discovered strength training, it became, I'm the strong runner. And that changed everything for me. And since that happened, knock on wood, I haven't had one injury. I've run ultra, I've run like 70 miles. I've run to Vegas three times from Los Angeles. I can live, like I I do all this crazy stuff all the time and I haven't had an injury. And I, I think a lot of it is because of strength training and mental training. And so that's why I'm here today. I then went back to school for psychology after being a trainer at Equinox and, going to a health coaching school. I loved the nutrition and and strength part, but it always came back to the psychology. And why was I telling myself I'm a big runner and why did that impact me so much? So I went back to school for psychology and I just launched my business Grow With Clo, which is a mental training coaching um, program that I do. I do a lot of one-on-one coaching, teams, consulting, all the things, but I love diving deep with athletes and creating those reframes and leveling up like the same way that you bench in a gym let's let's train our mind that way too
0: so lots to dive in here number one amazing story uh the first thing i want to i guess ask about and again whatever you're comfortable in this but like so growing up with a mom who you mentioned worked in like at a rehab facility for drug and alcohol correct and then a dad who is a psychologist right yeah. so how is that amazing? And how did that like, make you over? Like, did, did you grow up over analyzing everything? Did you grow up uh, avoiding any thought? Because like, I know, it's both some of the most amazing things, they probably ask you wonderful questions and cause you to d- deeply think, but at the same time, kind of maybe can cause you to overanalyze stuff. So I'd be curious, like your breakdown of that.
1: Yeah, so truthfully, my both my parents were really good at not bringing work home. And so mm. I would never good I, for them. It's so weird for me to even say that th- that's those were my parents occupations because they don't talk about work ever. Uh, and I don't think of them that way. I don't even my dad's very and he loves philosophy, which is very connected to psychology, the more I get into the field. And so we have talks about history, philosophy, but um, ne- they never really asked me questions and I feel like they were almost they got enough of it, of it at work. That I almost could have used a little bit more like a, a reframe when that coach said something or something of the sort. Not, I'm not blaming. I'm just saying I think that they didn't bring their work home at all, so it didn't really impact me.
0: So when you got into like – you said you grew up in a small town. Obviously, throughout your career, you've been a fantastic athlete. I'm assuming you were sort of one of the better athletes to, or maybe more, one of the more driven athletes to come out of your town. So do you think – the shock that happened when you got to college, did that come from like, maybe you didn't have to work as hard as you thought you had to. What do you think like the biggest surprise from athlete Chloe in high school to athlete Chloe in college? Like what surprised you the most?
1: Yeah. Great question. So yeah, definitely. I can't emphasize enough how I put so much value on myself as an athlete. And I didn't foster other parts of me because I was getting so much attention. It was like Gatorade athlete in the paper every week, Portrait of me in my high school. When you walk in, like it, it was like, uh, and I was like, "Oh, this is fe- this feels good." But I I didn't I wasn't able to look at other parts of myself and develop those other parts. So once I wasn't the fastest, I was like, "What am I? Who am I? What is this?" Uh, and I did that answer your question?
0: I think so. Yeah, yeah, it was good. That's great. And I guess like the kind of the taking and extending upon that to. When you got to college, did you find yourself being overwhelmed by the other athlete? Like, do you think it was an external thing to change you or was it internal to change you?
1: Yeah. So I think I had this thought, like I worked so hard in high school. Like I I'm, I'm back in my hometown right now. And I went on a run and I was like, wow, I was a psychopath seventh grader. Like I was looking <laughs> at workouts. I did. I can find journal entries. I wrote, I was intense and, you know, I'm really happy. I was so disciplined early in my life because it got me to where I am now but it's not sustainable. And I think what happened when I got to Duke, it was like, oh wait, I have to keep being this intense. <laughs> like I, I didn't realize that I was like, okay, once I'm at Duke, you know, you know, like they're going to have, this is going to be figured out. This is going to be figured out. It's all going to be smooth sailing. I'm going to be there, but I didn't realize I was going to have to keep that mindset. And I think that's why in my practice, I, I focus so much on those other parts of an athlete. Like even with an NFL player. He's not going to be in the NFL his whole life. Let's start thinking, do you want like entrepreneurial mind? Uh, what do you, what do you value? What What's important to you beyond football? And I love having those conversations and seeing them get excited about yeah. other things. Um, so, and I think, I just think it's such an important part and I think it benefits them on the field too. Like I, I didn't need someone to psychoanalyze my track performance. I know how to run. I know how to work hard. I needed people to support me in other areas that would have, then made my track more successful
0: do you um and again this is kind of tapping in to like when you first got there in that challenging transition would you say that you were struggling more with like you I don't know how to say this other than like you weren't who you wanted to be or more you weren't the other people who were just as talented or more theoretically talented than you wow that's a tough question so
1: you're saying was I not who I wanted to like be Like when
0: you when you became when you started running at at Duke or when you sorry you got a lot of praise in high school phenomenal athlete you as an athlete didn't change when you got to Duke right all right. of a sudden just intensity changes right and mm-hmm. so would you say that you were frustrated by that change and you know the eye opening experience was that internal or do you think like other people being great athletes messed you up more like do you think that the shock to your system was more discovering there's other athletes that are just as good as you, or maybe a comparison thing.
1: I think both. There's
0: I mean, a lot of there's a lot to unpack there.
1: Totally <laughs> a lot to unpack. It's a great question. I think it's hard. I was talking to an athlete that's a runner um, this week, and talking, especially in running, you literally are comparing yourself. I mean, any sport, it is a comparison. Like I want to be better than you. That's how I get my contract for these professional athletes. Like I need to be better. So. And I was always, my identity was competitive Chloe. Like everyone knew me. I used to like start sweating during a ping pong match again, <laughs> and then I'd arm wrestle every dude I could and be like, I'm going to beat you. It was just like my MO. Cannot I
0: imagine what a Mexican Dominoes is going to be like tonight.
1: <laughs> I try to find healthier ways to, you know, channel my competitiveness these days. And it's been, I think that's been the biggest thing I was reflecting on this year, obviously, because it's my birthday and I'm still competitive, but I, I do it in such a healthier way. I think it wasn't sustainable what I was doing. It was everything was a competition and it's not healthy. And so to answer your question, I think it was internal, like Chloe, you're not good enough and external showing Chloe, you're not good enough.
0: Hmm. So did you, um, I guess I you might've touched on this. Did you run all four years at Duke or did you just run one or what was your, how long did you actually compete?
1: four years uh freshman year was actually my most successful year and then after that I got hurt and just kept getting hurt and it was really hard to bounce back um I think the other thing especially in running you're you know as a female your body's changing there's all these things happening and it's hard because you know not only are Females a lot of times judged by their appearance and their bodies, but then you're also being judged by your body because of your performance. And like, do you look the part? So something that I ran into a lot was I didn't look like a distance runner. I like, I even more so now, but even then people would always assume I was a hundred meter runner or a thrower or (laughs) something. And that really messed with my head because it's like, Oh wait, I just ran a 5k in less than 17 minutes, but people are telling me I I don't look like I can do that. Mm. And it was hard to negotiate for me. So, um, you know, just, I think knowing that people's intentions aren't to say that until like, they're not trying to tell me that I don't. Yeah. I mean,
0: I I think about your story It was the gym teacher, right. Or whoever said you look like a Clyde still was probably just like saying, no, you're strong, but like yeah, the effects that that had. And in comparison to the other two, it sounds like I mean, I, I get that.
1: Yeah, so I'm actually doing a webinar on a week from yesterday. So on the 25th, with two Olympic swimmers, and my friend Casey, who played college volleyball. And we're talking about being a female in sport and just having a vulnerable conversation because we all have these experiences. You look like a man, you do this, your body. It's like you can't win and we're just going to kind of unpack that. So I'm, I'm really excited because the more and more female athletes I talk to, they have similar experiences where it's just like pressure coming in and a lot of angles.
0: Is that like the entire life of a female athlete? I mean, I, clearly I don't have any. Um, understanding of our experience with that but like is that does that start the moment you start competing or what what's the life cycle of that
1: yeah I think for me too like I didn't necessarily so as you know I'd say for the most part um distance runners are relatively skinny mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. A lot of miles. Yep. and so it was also weird this is like diving deep into my psyche right now but let's go for it yeah
0: let's go for it I like it I like it
1: So people would say, oh, you look like a hundred meter runner. And I didn't like that, but I also didn't necessarily, I also saw like the health struggles of teammates for a long time in terms of eating disorders and things like that. And I didn't want that either. So I almost was contributing to it. I was like, I don't want that. So I'm just going to like prove that I can be a bigger and still run. Hmm. I I, was just, I didn't know. It was really confusing.
0: Yeah. Um, I think
1: all athletes deal with some, some way, shape or form those kind of conflicts, inner conflicts.
0: And, and this, uh, feel free to answer this however you'd like. In your experience, is like eating disorder and body image pretty much like a de facto going to happen for female athletes? Because the reason why I bring it up like that is I don't know if I know a female athlete that at least hasn't been affected by that in some way, shape or form, maybe in some extremes or not. But it seems like that's a very common, and is that...
1: Yeah, I wouldn't, I, guess, oh, go ahead. I wouldn't necessarily, I think it depends on the sport in terms of actually having an eating disorder or disordered eating. So those are different, you know, sure. and eating disorder is more extreme Disordered eating is just like a lot of obsessive and especially in the running community. It's very type A. It's like, I have to hit 50 miles this week. I have to hit this time. It's repeats. It's like so much structure. Um, so I think that perpetuates the eating problems in the community. Uh, but I'd say with other athletes and other sports, like I think about like the people I coach, the female basketball players, I coach, you know, I think there is still stuff there, but it's not as extreme from what, at least from my coaching experience right now, um, I see it a lot more in running and other sports compared to like team. I think it's a team thing too.
0: Yeah. That's probably a lot to that. What about, um, what about like college versus high school?
1: Well, it depends. I, I'd say probably college more just because you get a ton of these high level athletes in one room and we're all trying to, you know, the lighter you are, the faster you are. So, OK, well, if Sandy's lighter than me, I got to get as light as Sandy so I can be as fast as Sandy. That's how it mm-hmm. works. Right. So I think, you know, putting everyone in that same room, it, it makes it difficult.
0: So how do you and maybe this is like super, I don't know, unemotional, but how do you encourage athletes to perform at their best while also including a healthy culture, maybe from a coach perspective, but also like an individual, like obviously to be fat, like to be fast, you can't hold a ton of extra weight. Right. But at the same time, you don't want somebody like you want somebody to be healthy and eat healthy diets and, you know, train appropriately. So how do you like foster that balance of be in shape, be fit, but like have a healthy, I mean, is it a, is it what we've talked about or what you're probably going to talk more about, but is it more of a mental game or is it like, I don't know, is is there something missing from sports right now that, that, that we could address in that?
1: Definitely. I think it's all about the holistic approach. Like I think uh, stress, having high cortisol levels keeps on weight. Yeah. If I think about why I was probably heavier than I should have been as a distance runner is because I was stressed. (laughs) I was so stressed. I wasn't this person whose whole identity was about running and performing well in school and that's always like how I got my validation and now I didn't have any of that I was so stressed I didn't know what to do and I I, assume, I think that looking back that's why I was heavier than I should have been as a distance runner then so I think it's about taking a holistic approach no one said that to me though no one was trying to help me with my stress levels or figure out why they were just like well um maybe you should just eat this instead of that, or, uh, you know, it it was very
0: practical, not necessarily like, let's get to the root cause
1: Mentalize, Like, and I think it also comes to a coach knowing the athlete and knowing the best approach for that athlete. So uh, truthfully, my coach at Duke was pretty great. He knew that having a conversation with me about weight or something would, if anything, make me way more stressed. Mm. He didn't actually ever say, like I had other teammates that had to get weighed in way more often than I did. But then there's that whole thing. Like people weighing like male coaches weighing their female athletes yeah. every week. And it's, it's, it's what a tough,
0: difficult. what a tough dynamic.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. So this may be a wildly unfair question to ask, but is a lot of your drive to help athletes? Like maybe because you wish somebody would have said it to you or you're Thinking about how you would have made yourself better, and you want to help others with that. What's kind of the drive behind so much focus on sport now?
1: Yeah, I had a really hard time with it actually because I didn't want to. I feel like I've hung on to this athlete identity, so I never stopped running. A lot of my teammates they don't run anymore. They seem so happy. <laughs> was, yeah, and I and I'm like I don't understand. Like I've never stopped running. I've never stopped lifting. I've never stopped going a hundred percent at least two times a week. Like it just had. I don't have enough. Like. Good for you. (laughs) Yeah, it was just so ingrained. So I had a hard time. I was like, am I just trying to hang on? Like, why am I working with athletes? But I had this huge light bulb moment where the whole reason I'm upset about working with athletes is the same, like, it's hypocritical because I don't want to be seen as just an athlete. I want to be seen as a human. So when I work with athletes, I work with humans and I had to do that reframe because that was the biggest issue like I wasn't working on other parts of myself I wasn't working on my being I was only working on my sport and my craft yeah so my motivation is helping athletes discover other parts of themselves and then seeing the consistency there can actually pay off in their performance on the field on the court on the track
0: um real quick to your point now of you like a lot of your friends have stopped running but like you've ch- made y- you obviously still work out quite a bit and obviously you're still running a bunch what are you running for like so when you decide you're going to go for a run is that like you just want to stay in shape do you get a runner's high are you maybe training for something if you are why are you training for what you're training for like what's kind of the the motivation behind still competing probably at a similar hi- or high level of like what you were before as an athlete
1: a great question and actually i was i was training for something called high rocks which is like a fitness competition uh it's like crossfit e and that was in dallas or is in dallas on february 20th and i was really looking forward to that but i just had a realization and i'm like why am i training for this i asked myself that same question because i go hard you know it's a lot yeah. Prior to that, every that time
0: happened. I walk into the gym, I ask myself, "Why the hell am I here?" <laughs>
1: yeah. um, well, prior to that, I was training for Boston Marathon, and for me, it was like I wanted to beat my dad's time. My dad ran a three-hour marathon, so then I was trying to run a, a sub, run a three-hour marathon, deadlift 300 pounds, and do 30 pull-ups in three days.
0: Hold on, real quick. How? What's what's a per mile three-hour marathon?
1: Like 6:47 ish. Woof. Yeah, 6:50 something. Uh, it's.
0: Did I tell you about the marathon I ran?
1: No.
0: Really? I, I thought I told you. I didn't tell you the story. No. Okay. So long story short, not a runner, like at all. Like I think I've ran more than three miles, like once in my life. I have a cousin who went to Harvard, ran track at Harvard. And one day he's got a wrestler buddy who is out of shape and not to make light of an important topic, but his friends were making fun of him for being out of shape. So he's like, screw you guys. I can go walk a marathon in a heartbeat. No problem. Whatever. So, my cousin's telling me the story, and we may have had a lot of pizza and a lot of wine on like a Saturday night, and we're staying up super late. So, again, mind you, I've never run more than like three miles. So, I was like, you know what? Today's the day I'm going to go run a marathon. So, I decided to do it on a treadmill, and it was like I don't run regularly, even like sub mile, but did it on a treadmill. I watched like two movies, took me five and a half hours, and that's the one marathon I probably will ever run. But did get it done so <laughs> well,
1: treadmill i hate treadmills like i some of my teammates loved treadmills but i just can't stand them but, i
0: think i like fractured like both my feet like foot fractures and like uh, it was miserable but i did get it done so <laughs> that's my one
1: <laughs> i've only run one mar- one marathon at this point
0: yeah no thanks I, I, and
1: boston was going to be my last one i was like you know you qualify for boston you run boston you're done so that was my plan and the whole idea there too was to prove that you can be strong and fast yeah so I, did, I ran i trained on less than 25 miles a week um and a, a marathon is 26 miles so that's like very very low mileage for a marathon a competitive marathon time so the whole goal there was like to prove like oh, i can deadlift 300 pounds i can do 30 pull-ups and i can run a three-hour marathon this is going to show people that you can be strong and be an endurance athlete. Like I wanted to prove that because again, I still had this kind of story narrative in my head. You can't be a strong runner. Like you're too big if you're a strong runner. So um, yeah, that's on hold until Boston goes live. So I was supposed to do that this year. Or
0: so how do you train when something's on hold? Do you just kind
1: of well, maintain so stagnant
0: I'm- training until you find out the dates or what's the, yeah.
1: and I think you actually hit the nail on the head in terms of why I train so hard is because it helps me relate to my athletes. Hmm. I, know I go really, really hard and I always have. And I can show you proof in my pudding, like, and how I perform and how I train. Yeah. It helps me when I'm talking to athletes because I know those, the, the pain cave. I know what it feels like. I still go there twice a week. So I think that's actually kind of my superpower when I'm working with athletes because a lot of mental coaches don't go there anymore. And I'm probably going to get there at some point. Right, right. Enjoy it.
0: Um, what does like being fast mean to you? Do you have like, is there is there like in your head, do you have a predetermined like I'm fast right now? And that's a definition that you work towards. And same thing with like being strong. Like, do you have like is that a predetermined goal? Is that like a vision for who you want to be yourself at some point? What's how 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 do you mentally get yourself in the state to define that?
1: Yeah, I'd say I like fitness. So it's interesting because like track coaches, like my coaches in high school and college. know that I was like you're fit right now you can PR that's like that those are the terms they use and now I use the term fit in such a different way because truthfully if you can run however fast I don't care how fast you can run if you can't pick things up if you're not mobile I don't think you're fit I don't like I I don't think it's healthy to go on these one track maybe if you're if that is your career your livelihood you're going to the Olympics etc but if not let's like foster these other parts of myself. Like yeah. I said, that's clearly the, my memo clearly of this podcast, <laughs> but I just, I just, I would rather be well-balanced and feel confident in any room that I can pick something up or I can outrun someone than to only be like, Oh, I can run for 30 miles and that's it. And
0: yeah. yeah. I like that. Um, this just dawned to me. When you, when you, like, when you run, do you like running by yourself or do you like running with others?
1: these days when I'm running in 18 degree weather
0: you're Um, the only psychopath out there
1: (laughs) people in my town that I run and like I have they like if they invite me to run I have to go because the accountability like I know I won't go in 18 degree weather by myself these days so so that's really helpful when I'm feeling a little sluggish yeah Um, but I usually run I have fallen playlists I had like this playlist on for my when I ran my marathon and i had right at the 13 mile i don't know the song's called like speed it up <laughs> I'm curious to really get me going um music is like such a huge part of my my workouts like i just i feel like i'm like this was made for me so, yep so, there's barbell right now let's go and like, do you have do
0: you have like predetermined music or do you let the shuffle do its thing for you
1: so like today on my birthday. I did 28 sprints for my 28th birthday, 28 hundred meter sprints.
0: Yeah. Most people take the day off. Good for you. (laughs) Way to make it happen. (laughs) I was going to take the day off because it's your birthday. Just Uh, to, you know, yeah, you're welcome. I'll take one for the team. So
1: Truthfully though, rest days are, I have a whole new vision. Like, I just think rest is so important. We don't talk about that enough, but um, I had mask off the whole time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just on repeat. (laughs) I think, I think mask off is the song for 2020 for a lot of people. So, <laughs> so um, I, I was going to, before I derailed it with the uh, running by yourself or not, um, when you are, so let's talk a little bit more about your business. Um, when you are, is it safe to say you coach athlete? Like what, what would be the, when you're work, working, what, what, what do you, is it coach, you coach an athlete? Yeah. Okay.
1: Coach, and you know, that was also intentional. So intentions also like, you know, even going back to the Clydesdale story, like the intention behind that was not, but I think we need to think about what our words mean to other people. But right. back to coaching, um, I'm intentionally a coach because I'm finding, especially with pro athletes, they have a uh, sports psychologists available, but oftentimes it's viewed as, oh, I'm, I'm not going to a sports psychologist. I'm mentally weak if I do that, but right. I can talk to you, Chloe. This is way more approachable and they open up to me because- it's not some sterile room. It's, you know, I meet them where they are, we talk and you know, it's, they value it and I value it and it's it's been working really well. So. um,
0: Um, Do you most of the time coach people that want to be coached or need to be coached?
1: Definitely want, I don't want to coach anyone that doesn't want to be there. And I, I have a very, like I meet them where they are. If they're not ready, that's cool. I'm I don't want to coach anyone that's not ready to level up and isn't there and it's okay if you aren't like I, I, it's cool either way my door is open
0: yeah I'm, all, I'm always fascinated like when I hear a lot of like I mean in my world it'd be the you know asshole of a ceo who is a really, really high performer, maybe not you know, in some level, top management, and somebody requires them to go get some like professional help in some way, shape or form due to like maybe anger issues or, you know, mm-hmm. poor management or whatever it is. And that's probably one of the worst people because a lot of times they may not have any interest to seek help and they're going to not change their habits. Whereas the leader that you want is one that actually seeks out getting help. And I've i that was one of the things before this was kind of chewing on was like, I'd be curious if people come to you because they want to, or somebody says that person needs some mental help. You know, that quarterback is a remarkable quarterback, but a total head case Mm -hmm. needs to find some help and how you've kind of balanced working with two different types of people.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So truthfully, most of my clientele is through word of mouth and it's um, middle school all the way to the pro level. And I'm getting my clients through word of mouth. So especially it's been really refreshing At the pro level athletes seeing my value and telling others like hey this is this work like it worked for me and viewing it more as this is a superpower this isn't a weakness like you like you need to be in the mind gym the same way you're in the gym gym like we need to work out how what you're going to do when these obstacles come your way mentally how are you going to make sure that your two feet are on the ground and you're focusing on the moment when you're about to make that catch. Like, Mm. how are we going to get you there? Let's talk about it.
0: So am I on crack? Did you study econ?
1: No, I studied um, international relations and Chinese.
0: (laughs) Definitely not what I was expecting.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wait, hold
0: on real quick. Sidebar. Where'd that come from?
1: I studied Chinese. I was, like I said, this really intense high achiever. I studied Chinese all through high school. I went to China And I was like, I'm gonna be a diplomat. I almost went to Georgetown. I committed to Georgetown and then switched last minute. um, And I really thought I was gonna go into the foreign service. And truthfully, I still have a lot of interests around international policy and international, like just culture in general. I I took a lot of anthropology classes. And so I think practicing what I preach, I'm gonna foster that side of me when I start my podcast and it's gonna be about culture.
0: Love that. The reason why I brought up the uh, the econ, which at some point we need to have, maybe that's when we break the tequila out and talk about international policy. But uh, um, the uh, the reason why I brought up the um, econ was, <laughs> would you say that you enjoy working with like kind of the athlete itself or the team? So like micro athlete, macro team. Like, do you like the individual? I that's my guess. Or and yeah, then
1: individual. Yeah. Really. Yeah. And I, you know, I have colleagues that enjoy teamwork more and I like teamwork. I like at the younger level, like a high school, middle school team, that's fun for me. Um, But at the pro level, there's so much more support and it's, I love, I love doing the deep dive. So I'm planning on pursuing a PhD uh, next year. I'm doing research right now on trauma and I, I just, I love getting to those deep levels and having these big breakthroughs and getting the nitty gritty. That's my thing. So.
0: The, uh, and, and like, since, since athletes, like your way to go, do you think you, um, do you ever struggle with like, they don't do it the way you would do it? Has that ever been an issue? What do you mean? Well, I, so we, I think we talked about this a little bit. I, um I did face-offs when I play lacrosse and Base office is very like you're kind of a mental psychopath and it's a very like niche. You're pretty much the only player in the field that does that one specific thing. And so when I have been a coach, I've coached like middle school teams, not any, but like had fun with that or entry-level high school where I was only coaching one athlete. And one of the things that I've occasionally struggled with and I've had to take myself a step back is say like, we talked about this, you're doing great, but like you should be doing this specifically and you're not. And I struggle like I need to remove myself because it's like, I wish I was doing it that way or you're not doing it the way I would be doing it, but maybe you're doing it better. And so I don't, I mean, I I just was curious if you, if you have any, like ever step into the shoes of, Hey, you're not training the way I think I want to train, but you're actually doing a great job doing it the way you're doing that. And if that's ever been a struggle for you.
1: Yeah. I actually haven't really run into that struggle. I find that in sessions, um, the more space and silence, the better. And I, I have to make sure that I'm, you know, I practice what I preach and I meditate every day and I remove myself from those situations so I can try and just fully support the athletes and where they are. And I don't, I, I haven't had that struggle yet.
0: That's so, cool. No, I hopefully you don't. <laughs> it's yeah. probably, probably means you're a lot less se- selfish than I am. So I like that. But um, on, on the like sessions question, how much of it do you take with you out of the room? Room being figurative.
1: Yeah. yeah. At this point, I'm working so much because I'm just launching. Um, So I feel like I work all the time, but it's all, I really, really enjoy it. And it doesn't necessarily feel like work. It feels so aligned and I'm so passionate about it, but I wouldn't say that I take anything. I think the one thing that it does impact is my friendships. Hmm. I don't have, I've realized I, before this, before getting into this work and starting my business I had a, a lot of really really close friendships but i don't really have the bandwidth to keep up that for like in that capacity anymore and that's hard for me because i value connection more than anything yeah um uh, so that's something i'm still navigating
0: that's i mean it's interesting to say that so one from like running businesses myself like it's definitely a lonely path it's a it's an amazing path and i wouldn't change it for the world but it's definitely a lonely path One thing that's kind of, I think, messed me up a little bit is on podcasts, actually, having conversations with friends. How do you not let new conversations feel like a podcast? We're like... I don't mind like the best place in the world is being the person asking the questions because it's the safest. You don't need to make the conversation about you. You can make it all about them, which is really fun, but it's weird in friendships of time. And I'll be curious, like once you launch your podcast, if you have the same experience of like, how do you then switch into normal? I'm getting to know you mode. This doesn't need to be a podcast, but this is just like a fun conversation that's happening. It's an interesting, like, like Joe Rogan, for example, I'd be curious. Do you know Joe Rogan? I'd be curious his experience. Like, does he have normal, like, non-podcast friendships, and how does that interact differently than all he does all day long professionally is podcast? So, anyways, no, sidebar. Think, but
1: no, I agree. I think it's really tricky. I mean, I think it's the same thing, like with Instagram now. How it's like a business and some <laughs> classy, and so it's like, yeah, it's it, the world is getting weird, and <laughs> I, I'm I'm navigating that. The I guess thinking about my podcast it is going to be basically all my friends coming on so it's i get maybe that's what i'm gonna do to salvage all these relationships (laughs)
0: look i'm sorry for the last six months been super busy (laughs) But let's catch up on the podcast (laughs) tiger then you'll be the one sending tequila that's the way to do it so (laughs) so um uh if if the perfect athlete not perfect meaning they're perfect but like the one you would have the most fun working with walks in walks in the room and says, Chloe, I want to work with you. Who, who is like profile them?
1: Okay. Well, to be honest, I love the like eighth to 10th grade range the most because they're like a sponge. They just want to, absorb everything you say and their eyes light up when they make these connections and they see the results and they're willing to put in the work or that's what I'm finding. So I'd say it's seventh to 10th grade. Yeah. And in terms of, I don't really have a particular sport yet. I haven't some people like my mentors, some of them were like, you need to pick a sport, you need to pick an age group. But right now at the beginning of the beginning stages, I'm really enjoying having a diverse clientele Working with all levels and getting to understand all of them at a different level. I've never been a pro athlete, um, but I've always tried to act like one. <laughs> so yeah, um, and just learning their struggles. And then you know, at the younger level, it's a whole different game. But I still feel related to that. And I think it's cool because they still I can still say things like dope to them and have conversations, and they're not like. So I know I probably won't be coaching the younger athletes forever. It's probably going to transition, if anything, to more older athletes.
0: It's fun. I mean, I I can relate in the sense that, like, it's fun to coach, like, that middle school to high school transition because you're still, like God to them, like, you're the coolest thing ever, and, like, they respect you as an athlete, but also, like, interested in learning from you, From you, whereas, like, a little bit younger, all they want to do is just, like, play, 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 which is awesome fun, and then high school, they're just kind of like, you suck, I have no interest in you, I don't want to listen to you, whatever, but, no, I, that's, that's awesome, do you, um that, like, the transition to older age, whether it's pro athletes, whether it's college athletes, is that something you're looking forward to? You're just naturally going to let happen or like no rush to do it.
1: Yeah. I'm all about receiving what, what comes my way. I like that. Stick. So like I have these calls with athletes and you know, whoever I, I have the most impact on, they're going to tell their teammates, friends, whatever. I, like, I want to work with people that want, to work on themselves and want to level up. So I'm really open to whatever happens.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so if you, that, that, that perfect profile of a person walks into your life, you coach them, whether that's for, you know, 20 minutes, one session, or whether that's for 20 years, what do you think that it, like, what defined impact do you want to leave on their life?
1: Yeah. So I, I really think, you know, better athletes, better humans hmm. and, I, that's the impact I want to leave. I I don't want them to just be successful on the field. I want to build trust with them and give them tools to be successful in their lives, with their families, with their money, with their everything, um, with how they show up period. So um, that's my goal. I like
0: that. Do you, um, if you walked in the door as a, that middle school, the seventh grader who was just told she was a Clyde still and wanted you to coach her, do you think you'd be able to handle that?
1: Yeah, I think it's, that would be cake. <laughs> Been you know,
0: ten, 10 years, only, down, 20 years down this road.
1: <laughs> a reframe that would have helped. And, you know, that's what I hope to do with the younger athletes. When like Tommy comes in and is like, my dad didn't come to my game today. He doesn't love me. Says, wait, wait, why do you think he doesn't love you, Tommy? What do you mean? He didn't come yeah. to the game? Well, let's talk about that. Well, he had to work late. Okay. So that doesn't mean he doesn't love you. You know, that worked out, like, what he's, you know, and breaking that down for them so they don't just go on this narrative for the rest of their life, oh, daddy doesn't love me.
0: That's actually – that's actually – makes me ask another question. Um, Does – how much of your coaching do you think is actually about sport versus about the person?
1: Yeah, I'd say very little of it is about the sport. Yeah. Um, I think this me having a sport background, now, though, allows – like a it, it creates a rapport sure because that was my big thing when i had when i was working with um a really talented psychologist she was my professor and she was saying she works with athletes but she knew nothing about sports and she was like <laughs> he caught the ball and was all weird yeah like if this woman is having an impact with athletes imagine someone who has a background and has three brothers who all they do is talk about sports and who, i grew up with this you know
0: yeah i love that all right. Favorite question of the planet. What is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? So at the end of the day, whether it's to go on a long run in 18 degree weather, whether it's to serve an athlete or long-term dream, maybe speak, become a policymaker internationally, but what is it? What do you think it is that truly drives you and gets you out of bed in the morning?
1: I think it's people. I can't like, I'm passionate about people. I'm passionate about impacting people's lives and, supporting them like i I can't tell you how much like i said just a little bit of space like holding space and being there for someone can just change someone's life um on a bad day and that's what gets me up in the morning
0: love that so for chloe for people who want to reach out to you whether it's you know through socials or whether it's about business or whatever it may be what's the best way for them to connect with you
1: Email is clo at gmail.com. My website's growwithclo.com and it's G-R-O-C-L-O. Um, and then my Instagram's at growwithclo underscore. Pretty easy. Try to- Consistent. It. Consistency is key. Um, yeah. And I, I love hearing from people. Uh, I have room for three more clients right now. So also that's another thing that's been like exploring my boundaries for how much bandwidth I have to have these intense conversations. So, um, yeah, three more spots and yeah, I'm excited.
0: Love that. Well, Chloe, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.